So happy Father's Day to all of you out there who are fathers. Turn with me please to Psalm 78. It's my hope and desire to specifically talk this morning and honour this morning the fathers in the room with this message that I've simply entitled Fatherhood. You see, long before Britain and America stated their claim on honouring fathers by producing Father's Day, well, God had already ordained that we were all called to honour fathers. That was something that he actually brought about. So out of the Ten Commandments that he passed on to Moses... Number five says this, it says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord of heaven and earth orchestrated the importance of honoring fathers. And so today I want to apply that scripture by devoting this message to the fathers in the room. To encourage you, to remind you, to point you to the high and holy calling that is on your lives. And so if you are here today as a dad, well, I would prepare to fashion your seatbelts because God is going to address us. And I'm pleased that I'm eventually passing it on because God has been addressing me all week. You only get 40 minutes. But I think God wants to address us as men and talk to us as dads. And if you're not here today as a dad, I think God wants to address you too. Because we're family. So we're called by God to all honor the dads in this room and also come alongside the dads in this room. But more than that, I think there are principles in this scripture that apply to every one of us in this room, whether we're a father or not. So Psalm 78, we're going to read from verses 1 through 8. We'll then pray and then we'll dive into it. It says, A masculine of Asaph, it writes as follows, Give ear, O my people, To my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that are that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Father, would you give us grace this morning? Lord, you are a kind and loving father to us, and so I believe you want to address us today on Father's Day with your word. Lord, would you help each and every one of us to grasp what Asaph is teaching us? Would you help each and every one of us be dazzled afresh then by your works and to the high and holy calling on all fathers? Lord, give me grace. Amen. One of the things we like to do in our family every now and again is get every blanket that we have in the house and we own, bring them all down to the lounge 
and then all snuggle up on the two sofas, which aren't even very big for a family of five, but all snuggle up on the sofas and watch TV. And one of the things we really got into, which we were a bit sad when it finished, was The Voice. Did many of you watch The Voice? Okay, so you missed out, you know, because this was quality viewing, probably the best thing I've seen in Australia since we arrived to us, uh, apart from sports, Olympics, but... Um, everything else, the voice was the really the thing. And I, and I just really enjoyed it. And the family really enjoyed it. We enjoyed the different superstars that were being presented as mentors. We enjoyed the different people that were growing and getting better in what they did. And one of the neat things for me was just watching people who started off, and they were okay, they were good, they had a raw gift of being able to sing. But then as they got involved with the mentors, as people really started to help them, that gift really started to flourish. You saw them really, really improve over the 10 weeks or 12 weeks or however long it was, in large part because of the men and women that were mentoring them, because of the people that were better than them, mentoring them and helping them and what they were seeking to do. Well, as we come to fatherhood, I have looked through the scriptures far and wide for a mentor. I want us as men to be mentored by someone who is an exceedingly good father. And that's why I landed on Psalm 78. See, as we look to fatherhood, I can think of no one, humanly speaking, who can teach us more about fathering than Asaph. See, that may surprise you because Asaph is not particularly well known for his fathering. He's well known as a psalmist. He wrote 12 psalms. He's well known as a Levite, the tribe that was appointed by God to minister in the tabernacle and then the temple. And he's well known as a musician. Asaph was an exceedingly good musician, But what he was also, without any doubt, was an exceedingly good father. In fact, he's an outstanding father. See, if I was to say to you this morning that for the next 500 years, across multi-generations, your descendants will not only walk with the Lord, but they will love the Lord and serve the Lord all the days of their lives for 500 years, you'd probably take it, right? Well, that was the story of Asaph. For 500 years... His generations walked with the Lord. And we see that all recorded for us in the Old Testament. And so when David recaptured the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines, he led it back with a great procession up to Jerusalem. And at the front of the procession was indeed the musicians. And at the front of the musicians was a young man by the name of Asaph, worshipping God on a cymbal. Now, I'm a drummer, so that appeals to me a lot. He was there rocking it out for Jesus on his cymbal, And it says that all his sons were following him and and watching him during the procession. He was teaching them the importance of worshipping the Lord. When King David then spotted Asaph, he was aware that he needed a chief musician. He needed somebody to come into the tent of meeting and to come with others and lead them in songs of praise. So he asked Asaph to be the chief musician for the entire nation in the tent of meeting. And he needed other people around him. He needed people to play harps and lyres. And so he found Asaph's sons, young men who Asaph himself had trained or mentored and asked them to serve with him. Well, side by side then, Asaph faithfully served with his sons for many years. seems that he did an exceedingly good job of it because when King David passed his throne on to King Solomon, King Solomon then employed Asaph and his sons all over again. This father was mentoring his sons in what it meant to love the Lord and serve the Lord. And what we see then down through Scripture is that for hundreds of years, this continued on with Asaph training his sons, their sons training their sons, their sons training their sons, and so on and so forth. So a hundred years later, after the passing of Asaph, during the reign of King Jehoshaphat, 
the king prayed for protection over the oncoming armies. And it was a young man by the name of Jehaziel, Asaph's great-great-great-grandson, that prophesied that all would be well. 150 years later on from that, during the reign of King Hezekiah, it was the descendants of Asaph which helped to clear the temple and clear the temple ready for praises to the Lord and consecrate it once again so that it could be given over for worship to God. 70 years after that, after the great apostasy in the book of the law was found, King Josiah wanted to celebrate the Passover once again. And in order to celebrate the Passover, he needed some musicians. He needed men who had been faithful to the Lord. You know who he found? Asaph's descendants. Men that loved the Lord. Men that loved the Lord and wanted to play music in the temple. And then after the 70-year captivity in Babylon, as the Jewish nation came back to Israel and came back once again to lay the foundation of the temple, now the second temple, Ezra and Nehemiah record for us that day in great detail. And they say on that day, as the second foundation went into the temple, there was a great crowd and leading them in worship was Asaph's descendants, young men who loved the Lord and loved serving the Lord. For 500 years, Asaph and his descendants loved and faithfully served the Lord. And so, fathers, in Asaph, I submit to you, we have an outstanding mentor. This isn't just an everyday guy. This is a man that we can genuinely look at and say, you know what? He got out to be a dad. He understood what faithful fatherhood was. And through him then, in Psalm 78, we have an outstanding message from Asaph, an outstanding lesson on fatherhood and what it is to be a faithful father. See, by way of background, if you take Psalm 78 as a whole, and there's a lot of verses, which we don't, well, we didn't read all 72 verses. If you take Psalm 72 as an absolute whole, what you see is Asaph laying for us a great picture of the good news of God's salvation being passed on from one generation to the next. That's, that's his emphasis all the way through. And so in verse 2, if you look again, in verse 2 he mentions parables and dark sayings. Now these are not things that are secret or unknown. They're not like strange voodoo things. That's not what he's on about. They're just parables and dark sayings. And he says that these things, verse 3, these are things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. And so what we're looking at here are things that are known, things that Asaph has been passed on by his father and taught by his father and what it really means to love the Lord and follow the Lord. Immediately after then in verse 4, immediately after that statement, we're told then of this psalmist particularly resolved to transfer the things that he had heard from his fathers down onto the next generation. He says, we will not hide them, but tell them to the coming generation. And so in a very large way, in Psalm 78, we just have this simple picture of the transferring of the glories of God and the saving grace of God that he had learned from his father now being passed on to his sons. It's the way it works all the way through. And yet in a smaller way, If we just isolate verses 1 through 8 and yet keep them in context with the rest of the psalm, what you realize here then is in eight verses, for every father in this room, we have a wonderful lesson on faithful fatherhood. What it really means to be a faithful father. What it really means as a dad to perform that role for the glory of God and in a faithful way. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. I want us as men to take that lesson 
and to inspire ourselves in light of Scripture and really acclimatize ourselves in light of Scripture to work out what a faithful father really is. Three things then that Asaph talks just about. What does it mean to be a faithful father? Well, the first thing it means for us as fathers is this. Number one, we think beyond our own lifetime. You want to be a faithful father? Good. So do I. Well, number one, we think beyond our own lifetime. Look again at verse 5 and verse 6. He says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. You see, for me, the the picture that is here the picture of multi-generations that is being described here by Asaph, I think is really quite an incredible one. See, quite clearly, every generation starts with the initiative of God, okay? It starts with his saving grace. That's why in verse 5 we read, he established. He's recognizing that this was all his initiative. This is all his doing. God, in his grace, initiates the saving grace in any generation, in any Christian generation. He saves people. He opens blind eyes in grace. He initiates, he reveals, he saves. And then God in his grace then instructs the fathers of that generation to teach the children, to pass that on, to pass the glories of God on. And then in verse 6, Asaph tells us why that is. Why is it important that fathers teach it on? Well, so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise them to tell them to their children. See, I just think this is dazzling. And as a dad, I just think this is, this is overwhelming. Fathers, that we grasp the importance of seeing onto the next generation. You see, what, what Asaph is describing for us as fathers is simply this. He's saying, you know what? When you teach your children, when you tell your children about the Lord, here's what I want you to have in mind. Number one, that the next generation might know them. So for me, I have three kids, Josh, Amy, and Lydia. Let's just isolate Josh for a moment. So what Asaph is saying, you know what, Dave, as you teach your children, as you teach Josh, my desire is that he would know them, that he would know the things of the Lord, and then that he would tell them to his children. That's why it says in verse 6, those yet unborn. So Josh's children, my grandchildren. And in turn that they would arise and tell them to their children, Josh's grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Do you see what he's doing? He's giving us a picture of fatherhood, which is way beyond just one generation. He's saying, dads, you need to pick your eyes up and see that as you're influencing your kids, you're not just influencing your kids directly, you're influencing them for generations to come. For me, my my great-grandchildren. So as I trained Josh... It's his grandchildren that need to be in my mind as well. See, that truly is, I think, an incredible picture. It's mind-blowing. And for us as dads, I think it's a picture and perspective that we really need to have. See, fathers, first and foremost, it's important that you understand that as fathers, we are called by God to teach our children. Full stop. It is evident Throughout Scripture, if you just isolate these verses alone, notice who Psalm 78 is aimed at. Verse 3, our fathers have told us. 
verse 5. He commanded our fathers to teach their children. See, mothers, please don't misunderstand this. This is not diminishing your role. Your role before the Lord is also a high and holy calling. That's why on Mother's Day we address that. Because the role you play as mums is huge. Caring for your kids, loving your kids, protecting your kids, teaching your kids, instructing your kids, parenting your kids. These are all things that you are commanded by the Lord to do. But fathers, you need to recognize, we all need to recognize that the primary responsibility, the primary responsibility when it comes to parenting, when it comes to instruction, and when it comes to teaching our children, the primary responsibility, as biblically defined, is on you. It's on me. And it's there throughout. Genesis 18, verse 19, is the Lord's command to Abraham. He doesn't say to Abraham and Sarah, he says to Abraham. Abraham, I want you to pass the glories of the Lord unto your children. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7, we see the Lord formalizing that command in the law of Moses, instructing not only Abraham to ensure that he passes it on, but all fathers, all fathers as the heads of their home are called to represent the Lord and to ensure that the, that the teaching and the instruction of the Lord is passed on. In Ephesians 6, verse 4 then, and Colossians 3.21, the only two verses in the New Testament that directly relate to parenting. Do you know what each of those starts with? The word fathers. It doesn't address mums. His fathers. He's not trying to diminish mums, but he's saying, fathers, you're responsible for this. This is the high and holy calling on your life. Yes, your wife, by God's grace, will help you, and she should, because she is a helper suitable. But when it comes to who the Lord will look to on that final day, it's you. It's your calling. So Paul's instruction to fathers is clear in parenting. And guys, I, we, need to, we need to buck up and ensure that we don't abdicate this role. Because I think, dads, we can be a bunch of abdicators. You know, I think if we did a study in Christian bookshops and sees who goes in for the most books on parenting, I submit to you it would be mostly women. It's very rarely dads saying, oh, all I want to do is read Shepherding a Child's Heart. I'm going to go. No, it's usually the wife gets it, she highlights it for the dad, and she passes it on. (laughs) That's what usually happens. And then as you're reading it, you notice, oh, she's not only highlighted it, she's inserted special points and my name in various places. Take note. And, you know, that's what usually happens. But that's abdicating that role. The primary role for teaching and instruction of parenting is actually on us, actually on, on our premise. We must not abdicate the role of teaching our children. And it is vital then, if we're going to do that, I think in terms of vision, that we think beyond our own lifetime. So I think as dads, we can get real busy, eh? And real consumed. Or maybe it's just me. Because I can. I can get really consumed with my lifetime and my generation. The things that I would like to do in my lifetime. And in my generation, the things that I'd like to do in, in work, the, the things that I'd like to visit, the things that I would like to achieve in my soccer career, which is still blossoming. I, I think there's still hope, <laughs> still a chance. Is there any chance, oh Lord? I, 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 probably vague. But, but there's a load of things that you think, I want to do, I want, I want to get involved in. I want to invest my life and enjoy my life and utilize my life for the glory of the Lord. And that's a good thing, but we can get so bogged down then with, just our generation, as if it's, we're the only ones. 
And the challenge of that is as a result, I think we can lose sight of anything beyond our own generation and not have any vision of that at all. You know, that's exactly what King Hezekiah does in 2 Kings chapter 20. So you may be well aware of that story, but the prophet Isaiah comes up to Hezekiah and makes it clear to him there is a judgment coming on Israel. This is what he says in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 16. He says, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. I mean, that is a, a, a sad moment, hey, as a king to realize that this prophet is telling you the future as defined by the Lord and that what's going to happen is your children and their children and your entire generation underneath you is going to be carried away into Babylon. That's what Isaiah is telling Hezekiah in this moment. Do you know what follows then in verse 19? I think are some of the most tragic words you're ever going to read in Scripture. Because this is Hezekiah's response. It says, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. How's that good? Explains. But why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. That's tragic. Yeah, well, if that's going to happen, at least it's the next generation, it's not my generation. I'll be all right. Brothers, when we as fathers lose sight of the next generation, we can all too quickly think the same. That this is it. We'll be okay, as long as we're okay. But the point of Scripture is we need to have a vision, not only for our children, but our children's children and their children. We need to have a vision for our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren, and the way we influence our children for the gospel, and the way we seek to teach them and pass on to them the glories of the Lord. How do we guard then against ensuring that we don't get consumed just with ourselves? Well, here's the point. Number one, we think beyond our own lifetime. That's what Asaph's saying. He seemed to do it well. I suggest we learn from him as our mentor. That's his first instruction. You want to be faithful as dads? Good. Then think beyond your own lifetime. Look out for your kids and their kids and their kids' kids. Number two then. Second mark of faithful fatherhood. Number two, we dazzle the coming generation with God. We dazzle them. We dazzle the coming generation with the Lord. You know, one of the things that so struck me this week as I was preparing this message was verse 4, the substance, if you will, of what we're meant to be passing on to the next generation. What really is it? Well, he says here in verse 4, I love this. He says, we'll not hide, hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. Well, tell what? Here it is. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Did you get that? What is it that we are called to pass on as fathers? The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. You know, dads, it can be so easy, I think, to get bogged down and overly focused on so many things in our kids' lives. We want them to be well-mannered. We want them to be well-behaved. We want them not to argue anymore. 
We want them, if there's any way, to be generous to their brothers and sisters. We want to try and make it happen. And we can get bogged down with this and focused on this as if this is all there is in our parenting. It's just trying to help them in the way they should go. And so I've just got to try and hem them in, both behind and before, God's job, and try and just help them be mannered and well-behaved and do all those different things. But fundamentally... The primary thing that Asaph is encouraging us to pass on and to not hide and tell has nothing to do with what your children can do for God. It has nothing to do with that at all. The primary thing that Asaph wants us to pass on and to not hide and to tell is not what they can do for God, but what God in his grace has done for them. Do you see that? This is a life-changing parenting stuff. The primary thing that we are instructed to pass on as fathers is not primarily what they can do for God. It is primarily what God has done for them. It's the glories of God towards them. It is the glories of God in his saving work towards them. That is the thing that we are instructed by Asaph and ultimately the Lord to then pass on to our kids. And in Psalm 78, as a dad... That is exactly what Asaph does. That's what he does all the way through the psalm. He seeks to dazzle them with who God is. And so in verse 4, he introduces his intent to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And then from verses 9 through 72, he launches into the most incredible retelling of history. He launches into 500 years of retelling Israel's history from the time of Moses to the time of King David. And all the way through then, throughout all those verses, he's seeking to highlight and keep coming back to the glories of God and the glories of his saving work. That's all he does. And so he begins by recalling Israel's deliverance from Egypt and how God in his grace parted the seas and got them out. He continues by recalling how God in his grace cared for them in the wilderness and how he served them with manna and quail. He recalls the redemptive work of God during the time of Joshua and the conquering of the people in the time of Judges. And he concludes by talking about King David and how God chose King David as his king. Ultimately, as we now know through Scripture, David being himself a pointer to Jesus and the saving work of the Lord. And all the way through then, this psalm, he keeps coming back to God, the glories of God and his saving work. See, one of the things you learn in this psalm, if you read it, and I encourage you to read it in your own time, what you realize is Israel were a nightmare. Over and over again, they are unfaithful, they're rebellious, they're provoking of the Lord, they're testing of the Lord, they don't believe the Lord, they're sinful. And so just read some of it. Verse 11, look. Verse 11, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Verse 17, yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. Verse 22, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Israel would have been a nightmare to parent, you know, because they just, they don't respond. And when they do respond and you just think you've got there, you look away and they've moved on again. You know, they've just changed their mind. They're just, well, you know, I I thought you were good, but then you went up the mountain and, well, you know, it was about an hour and we just thought, well, he's probably not coming back. So we just got on with our lives. They were just a nightmare to to try and care for as children. 
But time and time again throughout this psalm, as Asaph repeats the story to ultimately his children, it's a story of God delivering Israel, God providing for them, God protecting them, God shepherding them, God showing compassion on them, God atoning for their sin. And so you read verses like this, verse 38. It says, yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. See, Asaph was passionate about passing on and not hiding and telling his children primarily about the glories of God and the glories of his saving work. His primary teaching was not, kids, listen up, because this is what you need to do for God. That would have been a part of what he was teaching, no doubt. Training your children in the way they should go is obviously going to involve that thing. But if you asked a child, what do you primarily get instructed to by a parent? I think if you asked Asaph's children, they'd say, you know what? Primarily the instruction that comes to us is he just tells us how great God is. How protecting he is. How providing he is. How shepherding he is. How saving he is. How glorious he is. That's what Asaph is seeking to do. He is seeking to quite literally dazzle his children with the glories of God. And fathers, if we want to be faithful fathers, we must do the same. What type of kid just wants to grow up with a dad? Yeah, well, all he did was give me rules. Felt nothing. It's rules. That's not it. So great, they're well-mannered and they do as they're told all of the time. But they're not dazzled. We failed. We're called by God to dazzle them. You know, I once first heard this phrase, dazzling your children with God, through Ted Tripp, a wonderful book, Instructing a Child's Heart, which I recommend to all your brothers. He talks about dazzling your children with God, and, and that's really what Asaph did. He wanted to dazzle them. He didn't want them to be primarily motivated by what they can do for God. He wanted them to be primarily amazed by what God has done for them. And so he lived that way and sang that way and instructed that way and taught that way. And for me, I've just found that phrase throughout my short parental career, dazzling your children with God, very helpful. You see, teaching our children alone is not enough. It's not. So Asaph isn't, well, I'm not going to hide them from the kids Tell them the coming generation, what am I going to do? Oh, yeah. I'll tell them the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he's done. Yeah, kids, it's really good. Really good. Um, Yeah, really great. And so see you again tomorrow for another hour and a half quiet time uh, where I'll tell you again the glorious deeds of the Lord. That's not what he's doing. Teaching alone is not enough. It's, It's not. In the same way, being just a faithful dispenser of wisdom to our kids is not enough. And so, well, you know what? My dad never gets excited much, but, you know, when I go to him about wise things, he helps me. And, well, he helps me see that God would be really cross with me if I didn't do it this way. And so I suppose that's helpful. No, it's not. It's not helpful at all. It's not helpful in any way. We're called to be far more than that. We are called by the grace of God, if we want to be faithful dads, to dazzle our children with the Lord. We're called to, in such a way that we instruct them and teach them that they come away being affected by your excitement 
and your zeal for the things of the Lord. You see, for some of you in this moment, as dads, you are probably thinking, oh no. You're probably thinking panic in this moment, and you're probably thinking panic because for some of you, (laughs) your genuine assessment of yourself is, you know what? I'm just not the dazzling type. I I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't imagine myself ever dazzling anybody in anything. And so... I don't remember ever dazzling anybody in my entire life about anything. And Dave, you, you want me to dazzle my kids? I'm not the dazzly type. You may be thinking that, and I suggest to you by the look into your eyes in this moment, because preachers can't see you, <laughs> that I'm right. Some of you are a little nervous. Well, here's the thing, brothers. You may not think you are the dazzling type, but I submit to you, you are. And your kids are incredible at picking up what you're excited about, what you're affected by. You may not be like a dad on speed, you know what I mean? You may not come home and go, hey kids, God is good. You may not be that. That might not be your style. But I submit to you, even if you're quiet, they will pick up what excites you. Because even in your quietness, there will be an inflection in your tone, there will be a look in your eyes when, when you realize, oh, Oh, the next movie's coming out. Kids, we should go see this movie. And suddenly, even through a smile, they realize, you're excited because you'd you'd never usually smile. They will see a difference. They will see a difference in the way you live your life. They will notice very quickly what excites you. So a new movie, a sports event, a job offer. They will see very quickly what dad gets excited about. I've gone to soccer matches with some of the most reserved people I've ever met in my entire life. And they sit there How's your life going? Yeah, good. It's okay. It's all right. And, and you think, maybe they're just not very excited. And you say, would you like a sausage roll at half time? Yeah, okay. And you think, God, you know, I've just pulled the sausage roll card. How are they not excited about it? <laughs> but then your team scores. Your, your team scores. And you have this precious moment where you don't even care that the team is good because you're just looking at Mr. Reserved who wasn't even excited about the sausage roll. Now going... Yes! And they're jumping around and cuddling and you're like, what is this? How did this happen? I've seen it so many times. We all get excited about something. Everybody. Your kids are very perceptive to what you get excited about. Brothers, if you're going to dazzle your children with God, then I submit to you and exhort you with everything I've got. Let them see your excitement then for the glories of God And the glories of his saving work. And as you do, by God's grace, would they truly be dazzled? And fathers, in all seriousness, your children need you in this. They need you. This is not an abdication moment of, I'll probably be okay. It will not be okay. You're commanded by the Lord to dazzle your children. You're commanded by the Lord to Pass on the teaching to your children with the hope that they would pass it on to their children and their children beyond them. That's more than just teaching. That's dazzling them. And so, fathers, I want to encourage you, let your children into your lives. Let them see your zeal. Let them see your excitement. When you're excited about the Lord, tell them. Tell them all about it. When you are nervous and you are walking through trials as a dad, involve your kids. Let them see a dad that is nervous in this moment, but who is seeking to trust in God. When you are sinning in your life, 
and you are aware that I've, I've sinned before the Lord, communicate that with your family. Tell them about your sin and then lead them so that your kids see a dad who is dazzled then by the saving grace of God because this dad knows that in Jesus he can find forgiveness. That's what dazzling is. It's living your life as if permanently you understand that your home is not primarily a place of refuge. It is primarily a place to serve. And in so many ways, it's a school. God's given you a school. He's given you a school to dazzle your kids. And every day, when you come in from work, the primary motive of going home is not rest. The primary motive of going home is to serve. I want them to see. I want them to see the glories of the Lord and the glories of His salvation. You know, maybe today you, maybe you're here today and you're a single mum, and you're thinking in this moment, "What am I meant to do? How's this work?" Well, you know what? There is specific grace for you in this task. See it biblically. See it functionally as well. Over many years of pastoral ministry, there is grace on men, on ladies. So if you're not with a husband or your husband isn't a believer and so has not wanting to pass anything like this on, there is grace for you. And so you should seek to dazzle your kids with the Lord. And I think there will be very specific grace for you in that process. However, if you are a dad who is a Christian, looking back at me in this moment, you need to understand this is your role. This is not your wife's primary role. It's your role. Something you're called by God to do. Maybe you never had this type of dad yourself. I'm sorry to hear that. But that doesn't mean that you can't be this type of dad. Asaph's your mentor now. He'll help you. Be the top of your generation then. Be the start of your generation of something new where you seek to dazzle your kids with the Lord. Maybe you're a dad who's so aware of your sin, of your failings, of your weaknesses. And so your concern is, you know, if I'm going to try and dazzle my kids with the Lord, I don't even know how I would start to do that because they're just so aware of my sin. I submit to you, if that's your case, you have a head start. You have a great head start. Because dazzling your kids with the Lord is all about helping them see the Savior. And so if you walk into your kids' lives and let them know of your failings, of your difficulties, of your sin, they do not need a superstar dad. They need a gracious Savior. They don't need a dad who is Mr. Perfect. They need a perfect, spotless saviour. And so the best thing we can do as men, the best thing we can do as dads, is help, is help our kids see our need for a saviour and our regular returning to the saviour for forgiveness, for grace in our time of need. That's what they need to see. If we protect our kids as if we're just super dad, they never see it. And then they grow up thinking they've got to be super kids, but they can't. And so they don't understand how it all works. Bring them into your non-superstar life then. Be real with them. Let them see your failings. And let them see then the glories of your Savior. Dazzle them. And some people hear dazzling with God, that must be really hard. Do you have to inflect your tone a lot? Do you know what? If we were to take our children to a great fireworks show, do you say anything when you're there? The fireworks do it, right? It's the same with dazzling your kids with the Lord. Take them to the Lord. Let them see your heart for the Lord. Let them see your wonders in the Lord. And as they hear you communicate, they'll see him. It'll be him that dazzles, not you. So tell them. 
Number three then, and finally. What's Asaph's final lesson for us then? Well, it's this. We make spreading God's renown our greatest pursuit. See, look at verse 7 to 8. In verses 7 to 8, Asaph now ends this lesson to to fathers by laying before us God's purpose for fatherhood. God's great purpose, which all our thinking and all our dazzling should be focused on. This is what he says. Let's read from verse 5. He says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Why? Asaph, why are we doing this as dads? Here's why. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but that they should not be like, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You know, what a glorious aim and focus to parenting this really is, don't you think? Because what Asaph is bringing into picture for all of us as fathers is salvation. It's the salvation of your children. It is salvation. It is that they would turn in God's grace and put their hope in God and not forget the works of God and instead be motivated by grace to keep his commandments. Not because they're told to, but because they love Jesus and they want to. That is the ultimate end and focus of all our parenting efforts, of all our dazzling efforts, of all our aim, that by God's grace, they may, in his sovereign grace, come to know him as Lord and Savior. And men, in light of eternity, what could possibly be any higher aim and focus on our lives towards our parenting efforts than that one? Because I put to you, whatever you submit into that gap in this moment is the wrong one. And so, education, career, having a home, making sure our kids are well set up, them having a car, them getting into a good relationship, making sure they marry well, them being happy, it's really important, right? It's, they're important things, they're not, they're not wrong things. But in light of eternity, do they really matter? Does it really matter what your child does for a living? Does it really matter where they live? I don't think it really does, does it? On that last day, as they stand before the Lord, are they going to go, wow, wow, your dad helped you get you into accountancy? I don't think it's really going to matter, is it? Wow, you went to that school? Oh my, I don't think anybody's going to care. But what is going to matter is, did they put their hope in God? Did they not forget his works? Did they, motivated by grace, want to keep the Lord's commandments? And so the third part of Asaph's lesson then is that we make spreading God's renown our greatest pursuit. That's our aim. We want to see his name and his fame go forward so that our kids being dazzled by the Lord are affected and then want to put their faith in the Lord as their Lord and Savior. Don DeVries, Family Life Pastor at Covenant Life Church, he says the following. He says, I can remember holding both of my sons in my arms when they were born. I can remember experiencing that powerful emotion of joy. I'm a dad and this is my son. And I can also remember the sobering fear across my heart 
as I considered the awesome task before me of training them. In those early years, we loved and rocked and sang and we prayed. We instructed, we played games, we disciplined, we read the Bible, we prayed some more. There's been scores of vacations and thanksgivings and family lives that have come and gone. We've enrolled them in school and then brought them home and then enrolled them in school again. We've met and welcomed friends into our home. We've brought them toys and furniture and books and iPods. When they were younger, we cheered numbers of firsts, first steps, first words, first birthdays and so on. But as our eldest son nears 22 and is engaged, now we're experiencing some lasts. Last year of college, last year at home, last couple of months of being single. Like many of you, we have worked hard. We've loved, we have prayed, we have repented, we have committed each of our sons to the Lord. But to what end? But for what purpose? So they can have a good education? So that they can have a satisfying career? So that they can have financial stability? So that they can have a loving marriage and healthy children? There is nothing inherently wrong about these goals. But should these goals be the overarching purposes to which all our love and labor and energy is focused? Here's then what he says. No. Above all else, above education, above careers, above homes and cars and happiness, I submit to you that the three-strand cord of faith that Asaph gives us in Psalm 78 verse 7 should be our highest goal. There is no purpose that could be higher. Listen, no other goal that is so worthy of our labors, our love, our prayers, and our investment. I believe he's right. There's nothing else that is worthy more of our energy, of our investment, of our time, than these children, by the grace of God, being positioned by the Lord to put their hope in the Lord, not forgetting his works and keeping his commandments because they love him and because they want to do that. You know what, guys? I thank God for Asaph. What a wonderful example as a father. And what a great mentor then for all of us in the room who are dads. I thank God also for Asaph's lesson. What does it mean to be a faithful father? Well, it means thinking beyond our own lifetime. It means dazzling the coming generation with God and it means making, spreading God's renown our greatest pursuit. That's what we want to be about. But just in closing, I want to thank God for giving us himself. See, God has not called us as fathers to the task of fathering and then just abandoned us. He's not given us a command and they said, okay, well, all the best. He's given us so much. He's given us his word to guide us, to be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. So as we lead the family home, He guides us. He walks before us as our good shepherd and counsels us through his word. He's given us the local church. Men that are older than us. Men that are wiser than us. You can say, how how did you do that with your son? How did you do that with your daughter? How did you get them to respond in that way? Because I'm new to it. I'm figuring it out. He's given us books. Particularly today, there's a separate table on the bookshop that we've just filled with, with helpful material for you as dads. Buy this stuff. Digest this stuff. Start to apply this stuff. But more than anything, 
the hope that we have is that God, as a father, has given us himself. You were once an enemy of the Lord, but through Jesus Christ, you've now been adopted into the family of the Lord. You have a father, and I have a father that will help us every step of the way. And as Romans 8.32 then says, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us with him all things? Brothers, he holds you. You're never alone as a dad. You've not got to be a superstar dad. You've got to be a faithful dad. And do all you can, looking to God for grace and walking with him, relying on him. And by God's grace, he will always be with us. He's given us himself. And that, would that give us all hope and grace of faith for the road ahead? Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, as we celebrate today our two-year anniversary as a local church, we recognize that we have been the recipients of some incredible faithful fathering over the last two years of our lives. Lord, the story of this church is a story of your grace and your favor and your blessing. And so, Lord, as we seek to bless and help and aid all of the fathers in the room, Lord, as as I seek to take my stand among them, Lord, would you give us all grace? Would you give us all grace and favor for the road ahead? Lord, where we're in fear about the task you've called us to, Lord, even in that, would we share that with our children? And then show them what running to the Lord for grace means. Lord, how kind you are. You are a faithful father. How great is your faithfulness. And Lord, in you then, would we trust for the road ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.